it just kind of reemphasizes that <laughs> accounting nature in me that the tracking of numbers and how you're spending money is probably one of the most important things you can do when it comes to actually doing your tax return. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Joel Jensen. How you doing, Joel? Good. How are you? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Joel. He's a CPA, an investor, and the business owner, co-founder of Tax Century. He specializes in real estate taxation, has completed over 80,000 tax returns for clients in all 50 states based in Provo, Utah. So with that being said, Joel, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Love to. So I'll take you back just a few years to 1994 when I graduated with my master's in accounting from Brigham Young University here located in Provo. And then from there, I went on to work with Ernst & Young, one of the, they call them final four now accounting firms. And I was there for nine years and worked with a number of large corporations, mostly from here to the Bay Area, back and forth. And after about nine years of that, I just, I don't know, it, was, it felt kind of impersonal. And I really enjoy dealing with people kind of one-on-one, where I feel like I make more of a difference in their lives. So I had a client who was a real estate company, and they had a fairly large client base of real estate individuals. So I left the firm, formed Tax Entry, and went on and started to help them with their tax returns and some tax consulting and planning around real estate and largely with their self-employed businesses as well. And that was in 2003 and then have been doing it ever since and really enjoy it actually because I like dealing with people. So it's, it's really satisfying for me. Well, let's talk about your business. So you're a CPA, you're also an investor. What properties have you purchased? I have purchased some commercial properties and as well as which I have for rent, right? And then as well as I do some flips from time to time. I'm, it's nice being a tax person because then I have lots of connections with people who are in the real estate game. And I deal with lots of general contractors, different suppliers, finishers. So I kind of have clients who run the spectrum when it comes to real estate. So when opportunities present themselves for me to then get involved from an investor standpoint on the flipping side, then I do that from time to time and have really enjoyed it. And it's worked out pretty well for me so far. You said you've purchased some commercial properties? Some commercial properties, mostly office buildings, like small complexes, 
similar to the one I'm in right now for 2,000 to 2,500 square feet condos mostly, office condos. Mm -hmm. And those have worked out pretty well. So do you manage those yourself? I do. It's not overly difficult for me to manage because I'm in one of them. So we have parks and that kind of thing. So it's, it's pretty easy to do. You would think it'd be harder, but it's not. So we manage this one and then I have other property managers that look over the HOA details of the other ones. So some people might be presenting the same opportunity and not think it's sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. As smooth an operator as you are. So what's your approach to managing those properties? Like, how do you think about it when you, so, when, when you buy a new property sure. like that? So one, I'm always looking at the cash flow because I'm an accountant. So for me personally, I always begin there. And I look to see how much cash can be returned on a particular investment. What's my dollar cost up front? How much money do I think I'm going to have to put into it to make it usable? So I'm always looking at the hard dollars and trying to be aware of the dollars that are available to me, whether I can just use personal funds or whether I need to go out and partner up with someone to go do something. Like a lot of the flips I do, I'm partnering with other people to go and do those. But on the rental side, it's a cash flow game. So if I can get in where I think the return on the dollar is going to be adequate, then it's probably something I'm going to try to do. So I'm looking at cash. It's always cash flow for me. And it's one thing to look on paper and see the cash flow, but it's another to execute the business plan and actually receive the cash flow. So from an execution standpoint, have you come across surprises once you've undertaken that? I think, I think the be, probably the better way to answer that, when have I never come across surprises <laughs> right. when you go into it, right? Yep. So there's always something that's going to pop up. And what I try to do is look at maybe setting aside what I would call a little slush fund. So for example, if I'm clearing on a particular unit, and I know I'm going to clear $800 a month or something like that, I may set aside a reserve fund to meet some of those things that creep up on you unexpectedly. Repairs, maintenance, those types of things. You need to set aside money if you need to resurface the parking lot, which I actually had to do this summer here locally at the one I'm at. So I'm always trying to set aside some money to meet those requirements that I know are going to pop up, essentially, because they're going to. I don't think I've ever been involved with anything that hasn't had them. What deal have you lost the most money on? Have I lost the most money on? Yeah. Honestly, on the real estate side, I haven't really lost any money yet. And partly it's because I think it's my accounting background. So I'm always measuring risk, especially right. when you deal with tax returns and you're dealing with people coming in and you have to sign a particular return. You take on a certain amount of risk with that particular client. And the higher the dollar value or the more money that they make, the higher your risk is. Really? Educate and, me on that real yeah. quick. Okay, let's say someone who makes $50,000 a year and there's an error in their tax return. When it comes down to the tax consequence, penalties, and interest, it's probably not going to be that great because their tax rate is lower. Conversely, I have clients in Los Angeles who make a significant amount of money, and they have a few rentals that they Airbnb down that way. So when you have someone that makes three, four, five million million a year, you make an error on their tax return because they're in the highest tax bracket, then your liability can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And how are you right. liable? How does that work? So I'm liable based on if I make mistakes in a tax return, right? If I fat finger a, a number or something like that. So I can be on the hook for that. So we have insurance policies and we yeah. kind of carry those types of things, which are required whenever you're putting a firm together. But 
that's kind of the risk you look at. Okay. So that's why if you're doing a tax return, prices can vary so much from person to person. Mm. So I look at the risk if I'm going into real estate. So I had an opportunity to do a flip with someone. It was in the Salt Lake City area. And I don't know if you know much about Salt Lake City, but over the last three or four years, it's really boomed as far as prices go. You have lots of people from California who are exiting and lots of them are coming to Utah based on good job markets. Housing was affordable as compared to California. Not quite as much anymore, but at the time it was. So we went up there to do a flip. We found a home that was undervalued. We'd probably get into it at about $400,000. And as we dug into the numbers and what had to be done to the home to where we could make an adequate profit, we realized that some of the water lines had to be replaced. And that was going to be a thirty dollars or $40,000 hit mm-hmm. for us to take as part of our rehab. And that made it so the deal wasn't as favorable. Maybe we could make some money, but the risk in that became too high. So I backed out. It's kind of looking at the risk factor. Did your partner move forward? No, they didn't. They all backed out as well. I'm like the conservative one of the bunch. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm looking at it, kind of starting to squawk a little bit about the risk of it, then people kind of start to take notice a little bit. So we backed out and then we ended up not doing it. So on that deal, very possibly could have lost money. But on the other ones I've done, I haven't up to this point lost any. So knock on wood, right? From your accounting background, you mentioned first thing, you look at the numbers and you just gave an example of something that you found and you backed out. Any other examples of where you were presented an opportunity, you assessed the risk and for XYZ reason, you said, no, thank you. And I know that's kind of vague because you presented opportunities a lot or you see deals come through. I'm, t- I'm yeah. talking about where you were further along in the process where it was more than just a broker sharing a deal with you. It was, okay, now some team members are interested and now you take a look at it. Ah, it just doesn't fit. I don't know if I've ever had that happen, but I will say this that's been similar is that oftentimes when I've gotten involved in a rehabilitation and you go through the numbers and as good as you think those numbers are, Let's say I'm thinking I'm going to spend $150,000 on this rehab. Again, it's only a budget. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking I know what the numbers are. And being a numbers guy, I usually get pretty confident, but it's still just a budget. And what happened on one particular one is we have an overrun of 50 grand on it. So what I was thinking was 150,000, the overruns just based on everything that had to be done. And sometimes in rehabs, they kind of snowball. You have that snowball effect, oh, we should fix this, which means fixing this and fixing that. And it kind of snowballs into something much greater than you're anticipating. So the 150 turns into 200 and that extra 50,000 really is just completely eating into your profit. So I would say when you kind of go into rehabs in particular, just go in with eyes wide open and do the best number evaluation you can and it's not that that 50000 may have eaten into my profit and on the surface you'd say, oh, that's horrible. But in my mind, what really happens is I take the information I learned off of that particular job and then I roll it into maybe the next rehab I want to do. So I always look at this kind of educational process as kind of a wheel that keeps turning and turning and turning. So what I learn on one, it kind of helps me do my budgeting for the next one which then gets me closer to the realization of what those numbers were and then pushes me into the next job with a better ability to be more accurate with numbers. And then that process just keeps going and going and going. So 
even on a shortfall like that, I say I probably gained a lot of experience coming out of it on the other side. Over 80,000 tax returns. Yeah, that's a firm perspective, what we've done here as a firm between all the preparers. Mm -hmm. But we routinely do now roughly 10,000 tax returns a year. What are a couple things you've learned from looking at everyone else's finances that you apply to your own? That I apply to my own? Well, one thing I noticed when it comes to dealing with clients is the better the records, the better the return. So we often say kind of garbage in, garbage out when it comes to tax returns. And the people who don't pay particular attention to documentation and how they're spending their money makes it really hard for people like us to do a better tax return or allow us to meander through how they're spending money and do better planning and trying to save them dollars. So it just kind of reemphasizes that (laughs) accounting nature in me that the tracking of numbers and how you're spending money is probably one of the most important things you can do when it comes to actually doing your tax return. Because the better those numbers are also allows me to plan better with you. Mm. When it comes to the tax return, like the physical tax return itself, that's all just compliance. So the IRS sets out these compliance rules for forms we all need to fill out and submit to them. But really, the savings comes during the year when you have your numbers and we can sit down and start going through it, especially like December at the end of the year when you can say, should you be spending money right now? Because everything's on sale when it comes to the self-employed and what you can save just from a tax perspective on what you have to buy. So for me, it's just getting to a good place with your numbers. You've got to be able to track what you're doing. When you take a look at the returns of clients that you've worked with, anything else stand out from, hey, this business sounds good, but they're really not making much money versus this business sounds very innocuous, but man, they're killing it and they're bringing in the dough. Yeah, I think it's sometimes it's funny that people really get caught up in the top line revenue figures. This mm-hmm. company, for example, makes 500000 a year. This company makes $2 million a year. And naturally, everyone would think, well, the $200,000 company is far more successful than the $500,000 company. But that's not necessarily true because expenses play a huge part in how much money me as a business owner gets to take home. So if I'm running a 5% margin on that $2 million business and I'm only taking the hundred grand home, yet the $500,000 business has a 50% margin and taking $250,000 home, the $500,000 is actually the much better deal. Mm-hmm. So I would say people shouldn't get caught up with the top line numbers. Really it's your margin, how much money you're making on a dollar, For me, that becomes really, really important. Mm, Very true. Based on your experience, what's the best real estate investing advice ever? The best real estate investing advice ever? Take advantage of the tax code. It's coming from a tax guy, so maybe that was the anticipated answer. (laughs) But with the new laws that just came out, the Tax Cut Jobs Act, we've only had one year of it, but there's all kinds of advantages that you can take to actually put dollars back in your pocket. What are some Even the qualified, ones? like the qualified business income deduction. Everyone thinks that's just for your self-employed people who do active sources of income. But the IRS did release something that was called the safe harbor rule and it actually got released late beginning of this year that allows you, if you have rental properties, to take that 20% deduction on your income. So those types of things. For example, you can also elect for what we call the safe harbor rule. There are these de minimis rules. If I have a bunch of rental properties. 
that allow me to deduct far greater amount of my repairs and maintenance than I may otherwise be able to do. And that's an election you do every year in your tax return. And not lots of people know about it, but allows me to expense all that stuff off instead of capitalizing it. So I would really look at what is afforded to me as a real estate owner from a tax code perspective and see what dollars I could put back into my pocket and not overpay the IRS. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. What's the best ever deal you've done so far? Best ever deal I've done? Probably a flip where I made about 35% of my money. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? Not investigating well enough the people I was doing business with. Please elaborate. (laughs) I'm going to go through all my shortcomings. But this has (laughs) been about 11 years ago where I went in and did some investing with a certain group who, let's just say they weren't quite as forthright with information. And at the time, I was still new enough not to ask appropriate questions to get more into the detail of what was going on. In that case, that didn't end very well. It wasn't in the real estate game, but it was still an investment that went south. What are some types of questions that, if in a similar position in the future, you would ask? What's your background? Looking at the information that they're giving you and seeing if it really makes sense. People like to over-exaggerate quite often to spike your interest. So I would always take a few days after someone gives you something and then take a relook at it with fresh eyes to see if something actually makes sense from a return perspective for what they're doing to how their operations look to how they're dealing with clients. Yeah, I would always take a look, a couple days, take a second look. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Uh, Because of my job, I do a certain amount of returns for free every year. So I'll go out and sometimes people tell me about someone who's having a hard time or money's kind of an issue kind of in my local community of people I hear about. I try to save them a few bucks and I do a certain amount of tax returns for free every year. What is a best ever resource that you use or novices who are not CPAs could use to stay current with some tax laws that would be beneficial for us to know? Well, I use a lot of software that's kind of for CPAs, for example. But I would say NOLO is a pretty good resource when it comes to a legal and tax perspective. And they're always putting out new books. So if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and still like hard copy books, look up NOLO and go to their tax books and it will give you a basic idea of what's happening in the tax world. I'd never try to make someone a CPA. I just like people to have a working knowledge of questions that they can ask when they sit down with someone like me. How can best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? They can always give us a call. You can go online. You can see our website, www.techcentury.com, or just call us 
at 866-856-0829, and we'd be happy to help. Enjoyed our conversation, Joel. Thank you for being on the show, talking about the commercial properties that you've purchased, your approach to managing them, underwriting them, also the different tax code items that we should make sure we're taking advantage of, and lessons learned after looking at a whole bunch of tax returns. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Have a good one. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com.